Hey, it's LeVar. We're getting more new episodes ready for you later this month. And to help us celebrate the new year, we're releasing new 3D immersive remixes of some of my favorite episodes about new beginnings. I sincerely hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common, I like to say, is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Today's story is by the Austin-based writer Nikki Drayden. Her debut novel, The Prey of Gods, what a title, The Prey of Gods, is set in a futurist South Africa with a fun mix of mythology, demigods, robots, and hallucinogenic hijinks. Count me in. It was featured in the New York Times' Best of New Science Fiction and Fantasy. She's written tons of short fiction now, along with several very good novels. But I think it's possible that for the story I'm reading today, Nikki applied her mind for design and her job as a systems analyst. The simplest equation is a really gorgeous story about math. Yes, <laughs> I know I'm a words guy, not usually a numbers person, but in this story, equations are about creation storytelling, and the connection between beings, both alien and human. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. The Simplest Equation by Nikki Drayden. I'm doodling in the margins of my Math 220 syllabus when she walks into the classroom like a shadow like a nothing, like an oil slick with pigtails. She scans the empty seats in the most calculating manner, and I shudder when she spots the one next to me. Her knees bend all the wrong ways in her jeans as she walks up my aisle, and her head is a near-perfect ellipsoid that could have fallen out of any geometry primer. She sets her backpack on the floor between us, then maneuvers into the chair with the grace of a lame giraffe. I hope I'm in the right place, she says as she finally settles, her English impeccable, though she exhales the words more than speaks them, typical of her kind. Partial differential equations? I nod, trying not to notice all those rows of tiny pointed white teeth crammed into her mouth, but then she smiles and it becomes impossible not to. I swallow hard, somehow managing to extend my hand. I'm Mariah, 
I say, my eyes tracing along the brown of my skin until it intersects the blue-black of hers. Kuala, she says, two syllables, not like the bear. I force a laugh. It comes out easier than expected. Nice doodle, she says, looking at the squares and swirls and meandering lines. Very symmetrical. Mm. I purse my lips and cock my head. Then, with a single tap on the screen, I reset my syllabus to its virginal form. She's not the first Akellen I've met. There are a couple hundred here on campus. They come to Stanford when they can't get into Vrinchur Academy, or Baish, or any of the other prestigious schools in their system. Bring us your next best, brightest, has become our new school motto. Yale, Harvard, and the other Ivy League schools split a couple dozen Akellens between them, but California's consistent temperatures are much more appealing to a race that goes into involuntary stasis when the weather dips below 43 degrees. After brief introductions, Professor Gopal drones on about semilinear equations. I listen and take notes attentively, afraid to let anything slip past me. I used to love math. Now it's the bane of my existence. Always more of the same lifeless problems. But I've got too many credits and too little money to think about changing majors now, so I buckle down and frequently pull all-nighters just to squeak by with bees. I glance over at Kuala, who's busy solving problem sets in her notebook, two chapters ahead of the professor already. This class is probably a joke to her, just a way to rack up a few credits before applying for an interstellar transfer. But she seems pleasant enough, and none of the other Akellans I've met have ever shown anything that resembles a sense of humor or an appreciation for art, for that matter. Hey, I whisper, keeping the resentment out of my voice. You looking for a study partner? Koala nods, then smiles at me again. I desperately resist the urge to protect my soft spots. Every Tuesday and Thursday evening, we meet at Meyer Library, hustling through the stacks for table space among towers of old, dusty books. When my grades slip, we add another study session Saturday afternoons in her dorm room. It smells vaguely of sandalwood, and the paneled doors of her closet are neatly lined with posters of angst-ridden Akellans. Their slick black faces are dour and their postures nonchalant, reminiscent of late 21st century brood bands, stuff my parents used to listen to. We sit cross-legged on her bed. Well, I sit cross-legged, and she sits in some variation of the lotus position that teeters on an optical illusion with all those joints of hers. Our notebooks are spread out between us. Koala's explaining Fourier transforms to me for the third time, and we're both beyond frustrated. I try to listen, but my mind drifts, and before I know it, I've created a doodle that spans half the page, covering the minuscule amounts of calculations I'd started. Koala sees and makes a purring sound I've come to recognize as mild irritation. 
Sorry, I grumble. I lean back against the wall and stare out the window at her prized lake view of Lagunita. Students horseplay on its shore, blue-gray water lapping at their ankles. They laugh, living life and enjoying the college experience while I'm cooped up in here breathing stale circulated air and staring at integral curves until my eyes bleed. I heave a sigh. Maybe I should drop the class. Drop out of college. Drop off the face of the earth while I'm at it. Koala smirks. You're depressed. Good. Good. I slam my notebook shut, turn away from her, and fume like a shuttle on its launch pad. Just when I was beginning to think she was a pretty decent person. Or a Kellen. Or whatever. Yes, it means you're close to understanding the story of this equation. It's a classic tale of love and loss. It's meant to be depressing, yet beautiful at the same time. I roll my eyes as she resets to a clean page and starts the equation again. She works downward, shuffling constants and variables, swaying like a concert pianist. When she's done, a single tear trickles down her cheek. She glances up at me and notices that I'm crying too. You saw the story this time? She asks with hopefulness in her voice. I slowly shake my head, more confused now than ever. Not even close. I was just trying to figure out how to tell my parents that I've wasted their hard-earned money and the last two years of my life. I hate math. Koala recoils, as if my mathematical slur negates her very existence. You shouldn't say things like that. Give me a break, I say, rubbing my eyes. I might not get your stories, but you don't get how incredibly hard this is for me. I wasn't born a genius like you, solving proofs while still in the womb. From the grit in my words, I expect Koala to ask me to leave, but instead, she lays a spindly hand on my knee. I've worked hard to get here, Mariah. But what you say is partially true. Math is our first language, and we crave it when we're born like you crave your mother's milk. It is our first friend, our first love, our first everything. Koala pauses, face riddled with uncertainty, then draws a black pouch from her backpack. She unties the drawstring and slips a large tear-shaped crystal into the palm of her hand. Hundreds of facets speckle the ceiling with light. So beautiful. I have never shared this with anyone, she says timidly. It's amazing. I haven't even started yet, <laughs> she says with a laugh, then leans close so I can get a better look. 
Foreign symbols are etched into each cut side of the crystal. It's a yusaloon, a calling piece. It's similar to your auditory instruments, except, well, it's probably easier just to show you. Kuala holds the piece up in front of her like a trumpet, but several inches away from her mouth. Her thin fingers tap across the facets, and the air above the piece crystallizes into an intricate fractal pattern, a living snowflake that blooms sideways and then stretches for the ceiling with all its might. Buds gracefully unfurl to the rhythm of an inaudible beat, stirring up a sense of wonder within me. Then, the ice crystals slow, becoming thinner and more delicate, until they peter out with a hopelessness that fills me with inexplicable grief. That was the equation we've been working on, she says, after we've both had a chance to catch our breath. Now, do you see? I nod, feeling wounded and vulnerable. There's a terrible rawness inside my chest that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And yet, I crave more. I need more. To another, I whisper. So she shares her favorite stories with me. And together we sit pensive for mysteries, hold our breath for thrillers, and giggle at the titillation of cheap romance. Each fractal evoking an emotion pure and intense and untamed. After the sun no longer shines through her window, each fractal leaves a slight chill in the air. So we slip halfway under the covers, and Koala shares with me a fractal with a perfect heart at its base that dazes me with childlike joy. An equation simple enough to solve itself. Then we throw the covers over our heads, and I can't tell where I end and she begins. So I giggle, and Koala giggles, and then she laughs, and I laugh. Let's get back to our story. Our professor posts the scores to our midterm exam outside the classroom door. With great trepidation, I type in the last four digits of my student ID, and the page slowly scrolls down, pointlessly melodramatic. My finger shakes as I trace my way across the screen over failure and mediocrity and more failure until I reach the grade for last week's exam. My chest explodes with delight when I see the 98.5. I'm so giddy, I can barely stay seated as I wait for Koala to arrive. Thanks to her, I've rediscovered my passion for math. I busy myself solving practice problems that tell tales of triumph in the face of adversity. I'll pick the best one, and share it with Koala tonight. 
In these last couple weeks, she's taught me how to play her usaloon, turning water molecules in the air into icy fractals the size of a toy poodle, though mine pale in comparison to hers. The bluntness of my fingertips makes it difficult to tap the right facets, but what I lack in accuracy, I make up for in perseverance. I've caused more than my fair share of fractals to wilt. However, when I get it right, math and story collide, forming something exponentially more magnificent than the sum of its parts. Her seat is still empty. I wait as long as I can stand it, then ditch class a few minutes into Professor Gopal's lecture. The phone rings and rings as I race to Koala's dorm. Through her door, I can hear her speaking in an Akellan dialect, sounding something like a rooster trying to fog up a mirror. A deeper voice follows with the tin ring of an IVT, an instantaneous voice transmission, cheapest way to call intragalaxy. Against my better judgment, I knock softly. Koala answers with an uncontainable smile and nods for me to have a seat at her desk. Her conversation stretches on for another ten minutes as she paces barefoot across the blue carpet. I admire all the ways her legs bend from beneath her skirt and how the fluorescent light overhead glints on her skin like iridescent rainbows set adrift across the night sky. I can't believe it, she shrills after she finally disconnects. It couldn't be more perfect. I've been accepted, Mariah. I'm going to Baish. That's wonderful, I say. And despite the rip in my heart, I really mean it. Getting into Baish is worse odds than matching all the balls in the Bifo Transgalactic Pick 12. Optimism has never been my strong suit, but maybe if I study hard and get my grades up, I could apply to Baish next year. Koala could tutor me the rest of this semester and maybe even a few weeks into the summer. I nod to myself, impervious to the laws of probability and blissfully ignoring the fact that I can barely afford out-of-state tuition, much less out-of-solar system. I've got some news, too, I say. Koala sits down next to me, and her eyes get wide and glassy. You passed. Nuh-uh. I nearly aced it. This calls for celebration. She pulls her usaloon out from its pouch and hands it to me. Here, you play something nice while I pack. Her voice trails off at the end, a whirlwind of excitement deflated by a sudden prick from reality. Pack? If I don't catch the next shuttle up, Koala says, voice pitched high and words running together as she tries to stitch together some sort of excuse for wanting to get the hell out of here. I don't blame her, not with the life she has waiting for her across the stars. Koala tilts her head forward, and after a weighty silence, she leans against my shoulder. I'm leaving for Baish in the morning. 
I can't let her go without showing her how I feel. So, after she's fallen asleep, I slip out of bed and onto a spot on the floor where moonlight from her window falls across my dimly backlit notebook. I work through the whole night, scribbling down the story of us, the fun we've had in our short time together, and all the could-have-beens for our future. It becomes unwieldy, our equation, and even with the tiniest font, it still won't fit on one screen. By the time I finish, my fingers are cramped, my brain is tight, and I can barely see straight. But the story is magnificent, engrossing, tragic. Careful not to wake her too soon, I cradle the Yusaloon in my hands and prepare to share. Our story takes nearly 30 minutes to play, and when I'm done, I sit back and let it expand into the room. Two concentric buds sleepily emerge and form a base. Then sprout three arms, each spiny like a starfish. They curl and coil, each arm to the beat of its own drummer. I marvel at the beginnings of their different stories, and my heart flutters as I try to keep up with them simultaneously. At a meter high, I start to rouse Koala so she can see it as the first bits of sunlight shimmer across the fractal's crystalline surface. But just as I lay a soft hand on Koala's shoulder, the fractal begins to wilt. It steals my breath as I watch, my mind churning over the equation, wondering if I'd made a bad calculation or misplayed a note. But I couldn't have made a mistake, not on something this important. All at once, the arms spiral up with the grace and might of a dancer, recursive shapes predictable yet mesmerizing. My creation reaches for the ceiling, and I grin in anticipation of the final blossom, but the fractal is thickening like an insatiable sapling and not tapering into delicate buds. I exhale, and my breath lingers in the air, coldness striking through my nightshirt as I realize this thing is far from stopping. Koala! I scream. Lips cracked from the moisture being sucked from the air. She doesn't respond, and I shake her. Koala stirs for a moment, as if trying to fight through impending stasis. But then she goes still. I take a swing at the fractal with her desk chair, smashing off one of the frosty tendrils. But it grows back with a vengeance until all is symmetrical again. Logic gives way to adrenaline, and I scoop Koala's body up into my arms. I say over and over through the hallways at the top of my lungs, figuring it will draw more attention than yelling fractal. Someone pulls the alarm, and we all scatter outside and across the street. I rub warmth back into Koala's limbs as onlookers wait for signs of smoke and flames. Of course, they never come, and when rumors start circulating about a prank, I think that maybe I'd overreacted. 
An explosion of terracotta tiles silences those thoughts as the fractal pierces the roof of Kuala's dormitory. Exposed to the night air and the moisture from the nearby lake, the fractal accelerates, bursting brick and shattering glass. It's odd, but no one panics or frets over lost possessions. We just watch, completely captivated. The fractal doesn't slow until it's demolished both wings of Lagunita Court and the adjacent parking lot, and even then, it's not quite finished. A single thin stalk stretches up for the stars, and it reaches, reaches, reaches. Wispy recursions sprouting like a vine on its way to the stratosphere. With some effort, I pull my gaze away and watch the crowd. There's not a dry eye to be found, including Koala's. Her body cradled comfortably against mine. I had no idea, she exhales weakly, that you felt so deeply. It's the most incredible story I've ever seen. I'll miss you, I say before she has a chance to make well-meaning promises we both know it'd be impossible to keep. I save her this moment because in a few hours she'll be on a plane to Houston. Just one small step on her long journey home. There's a flurry of media coverage and threats of my expulsion, but the Board of Trustees changes its tune when news of the fractal reaches Akel and impresses even their most renowned intellectuals. Suddenly, I'm no longer a disgraceful delinquent, but one of Stanford's brightest scholars, and any blemishes on my academic record are written off as me being a genius misunderstood in my own time. (laughs) I laugh at their antics. At least it distracts me long enough for the numbness inside me to fade. A week later, my phone hums in my pocket while I'm doodling in Professor Gopal's class. I fish it out so I can check the caller ID. My heart slips to my toes when I see it's an IVT number, and I scramble out of the classroom on rubbery legs. Hello? I say into my phone. Hello? I say again, harder this time, as if it'll get my words across subspace faster. There's only a slight time dilation, but the seconds drag on like days. I hang on to the sounds of rustling static, waiting for Koala's voice. Only, it's not Koala. My disappointment is short-lived, however, when the caller identifies herself as the dean of the mathematics department at Vrenchor Academy. She says she's eager for the opportunity to take a closer look at how I derived my equations and that if I'm interested, there's a spot for me in the upcoming school year. Full scholarship. (laughs) I don't bother holding back my elation, and even though a billion 
miles separates us, <laughs> I'm sure the dean's ear will be ringing for days. I return to class and respectfully gather my belongings, though my classmates couldn't have missed my screams. I nod at Professor Gopal, and he smiles knowingly. I can't believe I'll be living a dream, studying under the best minds in the galaxy, devouring math in all its forms. And, of course, it doesn't hurt. Then I'll be a quick shuttle's ride from Koala, just two planets away. I race across campus, cutting through manicured lawns, dodging traffic, and pushing myself through the knot of tourists gathered in front of our fractal. I fall to my knees, chest heaving and smiling wider than any sane person ought to. My warmed skin braces me against the deep chill the fractal emits. Despite my best efforts not to look like a complete fool, I still draw stares and the attention of a camera lens or two. From the corner of my eye, I swear I see our fractal moving, changing. Of course, that's impossible after all this time. Probably just an odd reflection of sunlight or the shadow of a passing cloud. Doesn't matter. I've got a date with destiny tonight. A passport to find, flights to book, a whole planet to say goodbye to. And above all, I've got a new story that's itching to be told. <sighs> wow. I was really nervous about um, reading this story. Um, for a couple of reasons. Um, but as I, as I sit here now, I realize that, um, as is generally the case, all of those fears were unfounded. First, let me tell you why uh, I, was, um, I was a little fearful, a little reticent about this story. I was nervous, uh, to tell you the truth, about being able to pull off a love story between two women. I, I just, a, you know, um, just a, you know, fear in, in my mind. I got it, you know, boy, I have a legitimate reason to be concerned and I really want to deliver on this story because it's so beautiful. And um, I recognize, uh, to my surprise, in this now moment, that um, this story is a, in some ways a love poem to my daughter Mika. Uh, who is out and proud, and I love this child fiercely. I mean, she's not a child. She's 24. She's 25 now, but, you know, she is. she's my baby, and she's my only daughter. And uh, the tenderness, the beauty of that relationship between um, our heroine and, and the Akellen is... Uh, is very much, you know, it's a, it's a story of forbidden love, one that I'm really familiar with. You know, I dated a fair number of white women in my past, and, you know, that's in some quarters of 
both communities, black and white, that's taboo, that's forbidden. Um, and I worry sometimes uh, about my daughter and, and, you know, like any parent, you know, concerned that she will fall in love and get her heart broken. And it's no different, you know, no matter who she loves, I want her to find that sort of tenderness that's present in this story. And, and I, I didn't realize until I started doing the postscript on it, what a, what a love poem the story is to, to my kid and to girls like her all over the world. Stories, y'all. It's the power of storytelling. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is the best in the business, Julia Smith, with associate producer credits going to Kristen Torres. Our editing and sound design by Brendan Burns, who knew the kid was so talented. My everlasting thanks to Nikki Drayden for allowing me to read her work today. If you liked this story, check out any of her works. For example, try her forthcoming novel, Escaping Exodus, which Nikki describes as a royal space drama with tentacles. Go to NikkiDrayden.com. That's Nikki with a Y and Drayden, D-R-A-Y-D-E-N.com. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. Pick your favorite story and send it to them. And hey, you can hear episodes ad-free if you like and also listen to exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. LeVarBurton.com is my corner of the internet, and you can join my book club at fable.co slash LeVar. I'll see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher.